I want to get into the Word of God this morning, and I want you to go back to where we keep going and where we keep starting in these last couple weeks, which is the book of Acts, and we're going we're gonna to once again read that section we've been reading in chapter 13. We'll start from there, and then I want to just show you through the Word of God that, that there are things that whatever God does just doesn't get done if it's not done in the Spirit. It doesn't get done if there's not prayer. It doesn't get done without power. Anything we're doing for the Lord, we've got to do with the Lord. Isn't that right? Don't do anything for Jesus that you're not willing to do with Jesus. Because it won't get done. You'll give up, right? And I want to talk to you this morning uh, because we're, we're, we're in a time of prayer and fasting as a church. We're on day, what is it, day? No, 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 from... Day 14? Are we on day 14 right now? Yeah. Day 14 of 21 days. And so there is a, a momentum, like I said, there's an energy from it. And I want to show you through the scripture, and, and, and we'll even quote some things that we're not going to turn to. But I want you to see in the word of God that, that it is a pattern, and it is a godly pattern. It's a, it's, it's a law of the spirit that, that prayer and time with the spirit of God, time with the Lord, always leads to productive fruit. It always leads to action. Whatever that looks like. Now, fruit looks different in different stages, but it will lead to something. And so, you know, I remember there was a song in the 90s uh, by a band that had kind of waffled back and forth. They were trying to figure out their Christianity, and, and they, were, they were not considered a Christian band, but they had come out of a church, and they were the mainstream band, and, and they got frustrated uh, with people that, that would just pray, and then they wouldn't do anything. And so, you know, in their song, they said, you know, uh, please get off of your knees, and and their 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 thought there was was that we're we're spending all this time praying and we're not acting. But I will tell you that that I think that they were misguided. And I understand where they were coming from, because they were coming from the place of looking at religious hypocrisy, like James said, where you go to somebody who needs food and and clothing and you say be warm and be filled, but you have the answer to their prayer and you just go I'll pray be warm and be filled and you don't help them. Well, that's not what God called us to. So they're responding to that, but they're from trying to stay out of one ditch, they got into the other ditch, which is that, you know, if we spent a little less time on our knees and a little bit more time on our feet, we'd get more done. But that's, that's not true because it is the time on our knees. It is the time in prayer that propels you when you're, when you're working for the Lord. It, it gives you the strength. It gives you the direction. It refreshes you. It prepares you. It points you in the right place. It gives you the fuel in the tank. And so nothing gets done without prayer. And I heard that all my life. Growing up, I heard it all my life. I heard these men and women of God that were a lot older than me and had been around the block a few times. And the one thing they all said was nothing gets done without prayer. And, and, and if to a natural mind, when you're not thinking about the things of God, that sounds a little, little silly because you go, well, sure, lots of stuff gets done. What they're saying is nothing of value, nothing eternal will ever get done. A church cannot move. A church cannot uh, flourish. A, a, a person cannot flourish in the things of God without prayer. We've seen it over and over again. You see the great revivals of history. And you look at the moments when it broke loose. 
And uh, everybody goes, that's the moment. That's what happened. And they point to a service or a set of meetings. What they often miss is that all, almost, I mean, when you look back at all of these stories of God moving mightily and shaking nations and changing churches and shaking up denominations, it always started with some people meeting in a room just praying, asking for it, seeking the Lord. And that leads to something. And so a lot of people will look at the moment that the dam broke and go, that's it. That's the moment. But that's just the culmination of a lot of stuff that happened before. And so here we gonna, we're just going to start here and then we'll, we'll move on. But in Acts 13, verse 1, it says, There was at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they would fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they were down, went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. We've read this passage every Sunday for the past three weeks. And I'm reading it to you again so it gets down deep in your heart that this is how they started things. Starts with a word from the Lord. It continues, you know, you don't send anybody without hearing that that's God's plan. But God didn't interrupt supper. God didn't interrupt the the paintball party. God didn't interrupt, you know, them just just doing whatever. Now, God can and he will, but it's not a coincidence to me that they hear this important, this is the first missionary journey. This is one of the most important moments in the history of the church. And it's not a coincidence to me that it happened while they were ministering to the Lord through prayer and fasting. You don't know what's going to come up in your prayer and fasting. You might not even know for 10 years. You might look back and go, oh, that was important. That was major. You might not have known at the moment, but they sure knew here. Because, you know, they, like I said before, their agenda was not let's figure out, like, should we do a missionary journey or should we not? That wasn't on the radar. Their agenda was just to minister to the Lord. You know, that's our first agenda is to minister to Him. It's just to love on Jesus. Is to, is to abide in Him and abide in His presence, be strengthened in Him. But then a lot of times there's stuff that comes out of that. Come on, you guys remember, how did the church begin? The first few days of the church after Jesus had ascended and, and gone on to be with the Father and left them and said, wait in Jerusalem for me for the promise of the Holy Spirit. He goes, until you're what? Until you are clothed with power from on high. Don't do anything until you're clothed with power. Think of, think, of, think of how you're clothed right now. You're covered, right? Now, you're not fully covered. A lot of people, I see your hands. Some of you are wearing short sleeves. There's, there's your arm. You're, your face isn't fully covered. And so you're, you're clothed, but you're not fully clothed. You're not, you're not totally covered in fabric because that would be an uncomfortable Sunday morning. You're sitting there, you know, in your hijab or whatever. You know, that might be uncomfortable. But when Jesus says, wait until you are clothed with power, he's not talking about partially clothed. He's talking about every part of you is drenched in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything. Wait until you have that. Because every, I mean, you could say, but we don't have time to waste. People are dying. People are going to hell. People are missing out. We got to preach this gospel right away. And he goes, no, don't do it yet. Wait until you have the Holy Spirit. 
And they spent that time waiting by praying. And they spent that time praying together. And while they were praying together and fasting, the Bible tells us that Peter stands up and he says, you know what? The, the Bible told us, the book of Psalms told us what would happen to Judas, and he told us what we were supposed to do about it. It said that this man would betray the, the Lord, and it said that another man should take his place and should take his office, and, and that's exactly what happened. And so Peter, Peter is all of a sudden, this is what's happening. Through that time in prayer, the word they have in them, the word they have in them is coming alive. You know, I was listening to an old message by Dr. Yonggi Cho from Korea, and he was talking about how he spends this time in prayer, and he talks about the written word I've read in that time of prayer and in the time of the Holy Spirit. That written word becomes the living word of God within me as I pray it through. He said, I read it, but then I pray. And as I pray, it comes alive, and I know what I'm supposed to do with it, and I, I know how I'm supposed to move. Well, that's a man that knows how to walk in the power of God. You don't ignore that. You wonder, how do these people do such great things, and why did God sprinkle them with his fairy dust, and why not me? Why, why, Lord, why not me? Why don't you ever give me any of that power? Listen, they're, they're not special in the sense that, that somehow they, they just, you know, they just won the spiritual lottery and they're doing great things for the Lord. Now, God has appointed all of us before we were even in our mother's womb. He's got a plan for you. We're special in that sense. But I, I, I want to tell you, there, there's no unicorns here where these guys are just like, you know, I was just born with this great power to lay hands on the sick and I always just knew where to go. You examine these men and women, you examine their life and you'll find one common thing. They devote themselves to the Lord. They devote themselves to prayer. They, it's not a coincidence. Guys, there is, a, there is math behind this. Now, I'm not telling you you can use God like a math equation. You don't manipulate him or anything like that. But I am telling you his word works. The way he set before you works. What he says, his laws that he set in motion will be in motion. And so it's not a coincidence. Well, these are people of prayer. And, I, you know, when I, when I heard that, it resonated with me that, that, you know, you see the early church. Here they are. Peter is, as they're praying, all of a sudden, this, this word from the book of Psalms comes alive to Peter. And it's no longer just something he learned about David or learned about his history. Now he's going, oh, that's this. And when he stands up and the Holy Spirit has filled them, and he goes out and he preaches that great message on the day of Pentecost. All of a sudden he's going, this is what, you know, this is what David was talking about when he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And he goes, whoa, this is that that Joel was talking about, that our sons and daughters, that, that the Holy Spirit would pour on us in the last days. And our sons and daughters would prophesy and our young men would see visions. Our old men would dream dreams. We're living in that prophecy right now. The reason that's alive is because the Holy Spirit has filled them. But the, the, listen, they've been spending time in prayer. There's a whole lot of this that you just kind of feel like you're throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks. You don't know how often churches just do that. Just go, let's just try stuff. You know, I get it. Sometimes, you know, you just got to do something for the Lord and, and then let him direct you. You know, the, the old saying, it's, it's hard to steer a parked car. I get that. You know, get moving 
and, and God will direct you as you move. I believe that. But that's not a substitute for that time in prayer, that time of direction. Here, back to what we started with in Acts 13, here's what they do. They're fasting, they're praying, they're ministering to the Lord, and they get direction from God. Set these two apart and send them out for ministry. What they do with that direction, now, here's what that time in prayer will do. That time in prayer will give you refreshing. What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized, that times of refreshing will come from the presence of God. That time with the Lord will give you refreshing. It'll, it'll, it'll give you strength. It'll give you comfort. But what will it also do, it's always going to give you direction. One of my, one of my fathers in the faith uh, said this one time, and it changed the way I prepare for a Sunday. He said, I don't pray. He said, I don't just pray trying to ask the Lord, what should I preach on Sunday? He said, I pray, I pray, what should I preach? What should I minister? But he goes, I pray into that service so that the Lord can show me what's supposed to happen in that service. He doesn't just get up there and go, let's see, let's feel it out. Now, there is there is obviously flowing in the Holy Spirit, and you don't know everything. But he said, I pray into it. I pray, and I say, Lord, show me what needs to happen. Show me what's going to happen. Show me what's supposed to happen. That direction is important. You know, how many of us just float through being blown around by the winds of life? And then we, a lot of times erroneously, we say that was God directing my path. Well, this happened and this happened and this happened. must have been God. You know, sometimes it is. But a lot of times it's not. Remember, we, we talked about this before, but Paul said, I have determined, he said, a wide door for effective service is open for me. I'm going to stay in Ephesus because a wide door for effective service is open for me. Praise God, we would all love a wide door, a wide open door for us to walk through. And he says, on the other side of that wide door is effective service. You know, I have, I've spent enough, I'm old enough now where I don't want to waste my time like Paul said, I don't want to waste my time just beating the air, just punching the air. I want to hit a target. I want to, I've got years left. I don't know how many have got left, but I've got some years left that I want to spend every one of those years doing what God called me to do. And I don't want to waste my time. So I'm saying, Lord, what are we supposed to do right now? What am I supposed to do right now? And when he said a wide door for effective service, that's what you're looking for. Effective service. This is going to do something. I'm not wasting my time. This is effective. And it may not look effective when you first do it. It may not seem effective to anyone else. But, but the things of God, when he's called you to do it, he told you to do it, it's always fruitful. And so he said a wide door for effective service is open for me. And there are many adversaries. I've said this to you before. But a lot of times, if you don't know the will of God, you will see those adversaries on the other side of the door as proof you shouldn't walk through it. And you'll say things like, well, I thought it was God's will, but it's really hard, so I guess that's his way of telling me it's not his will. How many times has someone said, you know, on our way, we thought God had told us to go minister to these people, but we got a flat tire, and then there was a blizzard, and there was all, it must have been God telling us not to go. And so you just turn back. Well, could you have, I mean, can we, can we understand that, that, that there was a storm when Jesus was going to the other side to deliver a man from demons and it wasn't God saying don't go? That there are adversaries trying to kill you and that's not God telling you not to go? 
So if circumstances tell you the will of God, you are wrong about the will of God a lot of the time. And in fact, you've forgotten there's an enemy that wants to oppose you at every turn. And it's not God's little buddy, the devil. You know, and I know people preach that. In the end, doesn't the devil serve the Lord? It doesn't seem like it, no. Mm, That's not, find me the verse that says that. But Jesus said, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And so if the evil one's working for God, boy, this whole system's messed up. Jesus said, you think I'm casting out demons by a demon? If a house is divided against itself, it could never stand. James said, don't don't you dare say, God's tempting me. He goes, God doesn't tempt you. He can't be tempted. He's not tempting you. He will never tempt you with evil. Now, so if you think that God wanted someone to murder that kid, then that means that God had to put evil in that person's heart to do that evil thing. And the Bible says straight up, he doesn't do that. So we need to stop blaming God for things he's not doing. Let's agree to that, all right? Just in the same, same vein as like me not calling the cops. And, and if your kid trips on the way out, out of the church, I'm not going to call the cops and say, I, per, their parents pushed them. Their parents pushed them. I think they were trying to teach them a lesson. They probably tried to break their leg many times before, but that's what a good parent does. I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. You'd be horrified if someone accused you of that. So let's stop accusing God of that. Well, if I can't let circumstances tell me God's will, how will I know his will? Well, thank God for his word, right? Thank God for his word. But you know, there's not a scripture that tells me whether I should go to Loon Lake tonight. I'm going to Loon Lake tonight. But there's not a scripture in the Bible that can go, thus says the Lord, go to Loon Lake Sunday night. How do I know I'm supposed to go to Loon Lake Sunday night? Well, that was the Lord that gave us that. That's the Lord that put us in that ministry. That's the Lord that called me to it. So, all right, there there had to come out of knowing the Lord's will uh, from the Spirit of God, from that time in prayer, from from all those other things that lined up with His Word. But here's where we're going to spend the rest of our time, the bulk of our time, following the Apostle Paul as he carried out his ministry and the way he did it, by hanging on to the every word of God that was given to him. You remember when he first um, got knocked down, when he was a, persecuting the church, he was the enemy of the church, and Jesus knocked him down on the road to Damascus, blinded him with a light. And uh, he, at that moment, acknowledged that Jesus was Lord and was sent to another man's house to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, hands laid on him so that he could be healed. But from that first encounter with Jesus, Jesus told him, you're going to preach before kings for my sake. And you're going to preach before, he said, you're going to preach to your own people and you're going to preach to the Gentiles. That that very first encounter with Jesus, Paul carried it for the rest of his life. How do we know? Because he kept repeating it anytime anyone asked him, why are you doing what you're doing? Every time he was on trial, he told the story. And he said, here's why I'm here. And here's why I believe I need to go at some point. This is why he started going to the Jews. And then he started going to the Gentiles. And then this is why he made, he made, it went out of his way, made it a priority to preach to kings. It was not convenient. Do you know he was arrested 
And several times along the way, they were like, you could be free right now. Why are you still in jail? There was one guy that said, if you give me a bribe, I'll let you go. There was another guy going, like, let's just settle this now. And Paul just kept saying, no, I appeal to Caesar. No, I appeal to Caesar. It would be like you going to court on a misdemeanor, you know, on a small charge. And they're like, well, you can just pay a fine. And you're like, nope, we're, this is going to the Supreme Court. Seriously, this could be over right now. But we have a plea deal for you. No jail time. No, nothing on your record. Nope. I, I appeal. You're like, come on, dude. You could just like, why are you making a big deal out of this? Paul just kept appealing, 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 saying, no, let's take this up the chain. Why? Because the Lord told them, you'll preach to kings for my sake. So I'm going to preach to the king who is the emperor. I'm going to preach to that guy. And so he's led by the Spirit of God. Now, now that doesn't, that's not his only thing that he knows. That's not his only encounter. You know, we can't just go through life going, well, there was this one moment uh, back in 2005, where the Lord spoke, and that's all I'm hanging on to, and I don't need to hear anything else because I got that word from the Lord. There's just no way God could give you all the info you need through that one encounter. So through your life, he's editing, he's adjusting. Sometimes we get off track, he pulls us back on, and sometimes we we get like a an excited little kid, and we start running towards what we think is God's goal, and he goes, that's not quite it, and he redirects you. But you need time with the Lord. I mean, just like Jesus, he took time. The book of Luke says often he would go away to pray. Well, what's, why is he praying? Just to be religious? He's strengthened in that prayer time. He's refreshed in that prayer time. He has divine direction in that prayer time. He is empowered in that prayer time. It's in that time of prayer. Thank you, brother. It's in that time of prayer that he is being prepared for what's next. And as he waits to go to the cross, as he's preparing to go to the cross, what's he doing? Praying. What's he doing? Telling his buddies, pray for me. Because he understands the power of prayer. He's not giving them busy work. You know, you guys, I don't want you to be sad. So I want to make you feel like you're actually doing something. So why don't you guys just pray by yourselves? No, he keeps coming back to them, waking them up, going, what's wrong with you? Pray for me. Don't you see I'm fighting for my life? Because he knows this is what I need. And here we see it. As they send them out, they get direction from God, and then they get empowerment from God. They're fasting and praying, and the Lord says, set these two apart for me. And when they hear that, they go, okay, you know what we need to do? We've been fasting and praying. You know what we need to do now? What now, boss? Fast and pray. Oh, okay. They fast and they pray, and then they lay their hands on them. The early church believed this, and the, and the, the church of today should believe this too. When you lay hands on someone, you lay hands on them with power. Don't send anybody out. Don't send a soldier out without a weapon. Don't send somebody out without clothes. Don't send a minister out. And I don't just mean ministers in the sense of went to Bible school and ordained. I'm talking about any person who is ministering the word of God, ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're going to lay hands on them, do it in power. If you're going to commission them into ministry, if they're going to start something, you always start it in power. That's what we talked about last week. Now, I want you to see this in Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 is the second missionary journey. 
In Acts 15, the church had a debate about how they should how they should be a church with Jews and Gentiles in the same fellowship. It was, it was, it, it, there were points where they didn't know how to eat together because they ate differently. Uh, the Jews ate kosher. Uh, the Gentiles didn't. Uh, there were things that, that, that caused them to separate. Uh, traditionally, before Jesus, before the Lord in, instituted a new covenant, uh, a Jew could not even enter, enter a Gentile's house. And so some of that crept back into the church, and they had to have a meeting about it and find out the, the will of the Lord and, and, and find some unity. And so they wrote down, here's how we can have fellowship together. Here's, here's a, a, a decree for all the churches. We need to be one. And so the second missionary journey was twofold. It was, yes, to preach the gospel where he hasn't been named, but it was also to strengthen the churches they had already been to. In fact, that was their prime uh, command, to strengthen the churches they had already visited and to bring them this decree from the apostles. And so they went out, and the Bible tells us that as they went out, and this, and I'll just read the last verse of Acts 15, it says, uh, or the last two verses, it says, But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Now, that's a very fancy religious phrase, but what does it mean? Committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. When we say that, it's so milk toast that you might not even know what that means, but think about it. They were committed by the brethren. So that's the, the apostles that were there, the, their, their cohort. They were committed to the grace of the Lord. That wasn't just someone saying, well, go in grace. That's part of it. But I believe the same thing. I believe they, they did the same thing. They laid their hands on them. They prayed over them. They said, you go in the grace of the Lord. What's the grace of God? That's the power of God in your weakness. That's the strength of God. That's all those things that he, that he does that you couldn't do. And they're being sent out in his power. And it says, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him, and he circumcised him. Ouch. Because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now we're going to just keep moving from that. While they were passing through the cities, I see some of you guys crossing your leg now. That's, that's fine. That's my instinct too. While they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. It sounds like it's a good thing that they're visiting these places. And, and you would just say, hey, if this is what's happening, every place we get, visit, churches are being strengthened and growing in number. So what would you say? You should visit more churches. Because I'm noticing every place you go, they're stronger and they're multiplying. Visit as many churches as you can. Yes, sir, I'll do that. But the next verse says, but they passed through Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, that's not common for the Holy Spirit to go, you know what you don't do? Don't preach the word. That's not a normal, like most people, thus says the Lord, stop preaching the gospel. You'd be like, whoa, you're out, you know. We need to sit you down and lay hands on you suddenly. You know, this is not a, this is not a, a, something you stand up and say the Lord says. 
But he didn't say don't preach the gospel. He said don't preach the gospel there, not yet. Because God has a timing. And if we're just going by our best judgment, if we're going by our best ideas, we'll just go wherever we go and we'll just say, well, it, it got, it's got to be good to preach the gospel. And most of the time it is. The default is go. The default is go, go. But in this case, the Holy Spirit said, don't go there. They were forbidden by the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I just want you to stop for a minute and think about good things are happening everywhere we go. It would be a good idea to go into Asia because those churches need the gospel. Those churches need to be strengthened. Those churches need to be um, um, multiplying. There are places that don't have churches and never heard the gospel. We, we don't want people to die without knowing Jesus. We want people to be set free. So let's go there. But the Holy Spirit has a plan. Had they not prayed. Now listen, how did, how, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how the Spirit of Jesus said don't go. It doesn't tell us whether it was in a prayer meeting, whether it was a prophet that said that. It doesn't tell us whether it was a vision. It just says the Spirit of Jesus told them not to go. What I can tell you is I don't believe it was like Balaam where a donkey had to block his path and, and talk to him. I, I believe this happened because they were seeking the Lord daily. I believe they knew what the Spirit of the Lord wanted them to do because they were praying. Paul said pray without ceasing. Because they have that, they don't hang up that phone call, they leave that open. They know when the Lord says yes, and they know when the Lord says no. And they go and they minister, and, and uh, the Lord says, no, here's my plan for you. The reason I didn't want you to go to Asia is because I want you to go preach the gospel in Macedonia. One of the leading cities of Macedonia was a, a Roman colony called Philippi. And you might think, Wow, praise God. Now that we know where we're supposed to go, there'll be nothing but happy things that happen. But it was in Philippi where they were beaten and put in prison for the crime of setting a slave girl free. But they knew they were where they were supposed to be. And I want you to go with me to this last place in Acts chapter 27. At this point, Paul's been arrested and he's been, um, he's, from Philippi, they got out of that prison. But he's since been arrested. And he keeps appealing. He's, he stood before many governors and kings already, but he is appealing to the largest um, power in, in, in the world at that time, which was the emperor of Rome. And he's heading for Rome, and, and I want to tell you, I skipped over it for sake of time, but the last time he was in a riot, and he almost died, the Lord appeared to him and said, take courage, Paul. Just as you testified for me here, in the same way you'll testify before, for me in Rome. So Paul's got that assurance. Okay, <clears throat> I'm supposed to go to Rome. It says, verse 1, when it is decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Adrathmidian ship which was about to sail in the regions along the coast of Asia, 
we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. And from there we put out to sea, and we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we'd sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came at Myra in Lycia. And there a centurion found an Alexandrian trip sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. And when we had sailed slowly for a good many days, and with great difficulty had arrived off Sinaitis, with since the wind did not permit us to go any further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, off Salmone, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. And when considerable time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over. Now the fast he's talking about is the Day of Atonement, the Jewish Day of Atonement. If you know anything about that, it's usually in around October. So we're talking late fall. Well, uh, I know many of you are already experts in um, Middle Eastern maritime uh, patterns. You already know this. Just forgive me for telling you. But that time of year, it gets dangerous to sail. We're talking about winter sailing now. It gets dangerous. It's not a good time to sail. The Roman soldiers are tired of babysitting, and they want to get to Rome. They want to get to Italy. So they're, they're, they're pushing. They're saying, we found a ship. Get on it. And Paul says this. Now, I believe that he doesn't just say this because he knows the seas. And I don't believe he's saying this because he's just looking at weather patterns. But it says, he began to admonish them and said to the men, I perceive. Now, the word perceive here means to see. I perceive is not just him going, I'm looking at the weather. It seems like a bad time to sail. No, he is perceiving something by the Spirit of God. He's been in prayer. The Lord is speaking. He says, I perceive that the voyage will certainly, if you're taking your best guess based on the weather, you don't say things like, it will certainly be with damage and great loss. Certainly means the Lord said, this isn't going to work out well. What do you normally do when the Lord says, this isn't going to work out well? You go, let's not do this. And in this case, you'd be right because the Lord was saying, don't go. He says, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Now, if you remove yourself from Christianity, you remove yourself from the knowledge of God, that seems perfectly logical. Why would a, a soldier listen to a preacher who makes tents for a living above a pilot of a ship who's saying, we'll be fine? Oh, no, but you got to understand, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a man of God. I don't care who you are. I'm a soldier. This guy's a sailor. We outrank you. But once you know, you know there's a God. You know that he's not distant. You know that he has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, that he has made a way, he's reconciled man to God. You know that he speaks to people today. You know that he is a God who leads and guides us, and he gave us his Holy Spirit. Once you know that, I will tell you, you should always be more persuaded by the word of the Lord than you are by natural expertise. Always be more persuaded by God's word than what you see with your eyes, you sense with your ears, or your, your nose, or your mouth, or anything else you touch. Because we know that, that our senses can mislead us, but God's word is always right. 
And so you can't be, listen, in our day and age, you might say, I was more persuaded by the media than I was persuaded by what God said. I was more persuaded by my training than what the Lord said. You know, I've heard countless stories of doctors, men and women of God, spirit-filled doctors who went to medical school and trained and thanked God for their training. But there were moments when the Lord said, don't do that, do this. And it went against their training. And they said, ooh, if this goes wrong, I'm in trouble because I'm going to have to answer for this. But they obeyed the Lord and saved somebody's life. I, there are multiple stories like this. There are multiple stories of men and women that have been in dangerous jobs that knew what to do in this situation. The Lord told them to do something totally different. And they went against their training as hard as that is against their own muscle memory, against their own education, and said, well, I am more persuaded by the word of the Lord. Now, thank God for your training. You don't go against your training unless the Lord says. But Paul knew this. He was not persuaded by the pilot. He was persuaded by God. The centurion, on the other hand, said, no, we're going to do what the, what the ship, what the sailor says. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. Ooh, all of a sudden, a moderate south wind. If you were shaky in your faith, you would say, oh, I guess that's God saying to go. Suddenly the wind turned our way. Quit judging God's will by the way the wind blows. Hebrews 5 says, we are not to be children any longer. Blown here and there, tither and fro, by every wind and wave of doctrine. Do not be blown around by the wind. Be moved by the Spirit of God. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Irikilo. And when the ship was caught in it and we could not face the wind, we gave way to it and we let ourselves be driven along, running under the shelter of a small island named Clauda. We were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. I imagine if you knew all these places and you liked sailing, this would really be interesting to you. All these places he's naming, some of you are hanging on with your fingertips saying, okay, I'm trying to keep track. But imagine if you knew exactly where he was talking about. If you had a map in front of you, this would be pretty interesting. They've now found shelter, and it says they were scared. But here's the problem. There's a storm. They're scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And after they'd hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship. And fearing that they might run aground in the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day as we were being violently storm-tossed, remember, the anchor is down. And they're still being tossed around. Big storm, right? The next day as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us. From then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. When they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice. That takes some guts to look at some soldiers and sailors who've gone 14 days without food 
and go, I told you so. Should have listened to me. Now we're all going to die. But it's not what he says. He doesn't say they're all going to die. That's what they think he's going to say. They've given up hope to live. But he says, yet, and he says, if you had listened to my advice, uh, you wouldn't have incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you, keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood before me saying, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those that are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God. This lunatic has told them when it seemed like the wind was in their favor, this is going to be a bad idea. But now that it looks like every hope is against them, there's no chance they're all going to die. Now this nut is standing up going, oh, you're going to live. You'll be fine. And I'm telling you this because the Lord spoke to me. And here's what he says, take up your courage. And I can't tell you how many times I went into the prayer Lacking in courage. And a lot of times that lack of courage comes from not knowing what's going to happen. Not knowing what we're supposed to do. Not knowing how we're going to do it. Not knowing what's going to be the outcome. And so we go into that time going, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what, maybe we should have done this. We should have done this. Listen, in this case, it's not even Paul's fault. It's the fault of the people he's in the boat with. And a lot of times there's going to be things that happen to you in your life that it's not even your fault. A lot of times, sometimes it might just be the people that are in your boat. You might be the, the believer in the company that said, we shouldn't do this. But the boss outranked you. And you're like, I feel like the I've been praying and I know this is not what God's telling. I, and and you, you, you sheepishly bring that up and you go, you know, I know this is going to sound weird to you, but I was praying. I feel like the Lord's telling me that we shouldn't make this move out. The Lord's telling you, listen, I went to business school. I'm experienced. I've owned this thing for how long? You don't get to tell me the Lord told you. I'm telling you this is what we're doing. It's not your fault, but you're in the company, and the company ship is going down, and you're going, you should have listened to me. Maybe you're in, you know, you're, you're in a family that doesn't know the Lord, family that's not serving God. You're going, man, our life would be so much easier if we all got on the same page we all listened to the Lord. But now I feel like the ship is going down and it's you guys. And one of the great things about Paul is the same thing we see in Joshua and Caleb. Listen, Joshua and Caleb had those idiots keep them out of the promised land for 40 years. They came back and said, we're going to do it. The Lord says, we'll go in, we'll go in. But they got outvoted. And because they got outvoted, they still had to wander in the wilderness just like everybody else. Those people kept them out of their promise. How do you go 40 years without secretly sticking pins and dolls? And Now, that's voodoo. Don't do that. But that's, that's demonic. Don't do that. How do you not just get bitter at them and angry? And how do you not say, Lord, would you just make their beds uncomfortable? Lord, give them bed bugs tonight in Jesus' name. How do you not do that? How do you go through life loving these people? How does Caleb say, come on, boys, I'm still young. Let's go together and kill those giants. How do you do that? It's the, it's the grace of God. You get bitter at your your company, you get bitter at your family, and 
You've lost the plot. Paul manages to keep his heart clear. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm happy to tell you, you're all going to live. I was real mad that I'm in the boat with you guys. But you should be so happy that I'm in the boat with you. Right? Like, you should be thanking God that this short little Jew's in the boat with you. Thank God for that. Right? You're going to live. How do you know we're going to live, Paul? Because God told me. Oh, God told you. Okay. He says, I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. When the 14th night came, as they were being driven about the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land, and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. You guys know 20 fathoms. Let's all pretend that we know how far that is. <laughs> You're probably in the margins of your Bible. What does it say, Nick? 120 feet. Can you fathom that? Now, you trusting, trusting Nick's Bible there, so. They sounded out. They found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little further on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak, which is a, a, um, an old sailor's trick. That's an old sailor's trick. Wish for daybreak. <laughs> and that's what they did. And as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and let down the ship's boat into the sea, on the pretense of intending to lay down anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurions and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. So there are guys trying to get off the boat. Like, I think we can make it to land. If we get in the escape boat now, we can get to land. And Paul goes, stop those guys. If they don't stay, stay in the ship, we're all going to die. And so they, said, they cut the boat and said, no, nobody leaves. I mean, people are having complex feelings about Paul right now, right? <laughs> They're having complex feelings. But, but watch this. Already now, he has gained the confidence of the people who've got control here. He's kept his head when everybody else was losing theirs. That's not because he's just a calmer man. It's because he knows what the Lord said. Your life is driven by the word of the Lord. Your life is empowered by the word of the Lord. Your life has direction by the word of the Lord. The only way you're going to keep from giving up and losing courage and losing heart and turning back is knowing what the Lord has said. That's why prayer propels us to action. That's why the day of Pentecost led from a prayer meeting in the upper room to action in the street. Because prayer does never leaves you in the upper room. It always leads you to the street eventually. It always leads you out there into the world eventually. But it leaves you out with power. And it leaves you out with direction. And when you feel like quitting, when everyone else around you is screaming, we're lost, it is that time knowing the will of God, knowing the heart of God, knowing the voice of God, that'll keep you going. And you need it more than you think. Because these times will try your faith. These times will try everything in you. They will test every part of you. And they will, here's what, here's what we find out. That Jesus says to Peter that Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. He is trying to test you. He is trying to try you and see if you're for real. But I have prayed for you. What is Jesus' answer? I've prayed for you. It is prayer that's going to rescue you out of Satan's plan. 
Here's what he says. They, they, they let the boat fall away, and it was about dawn. Paul encouraged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. And he broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves took food. Supernatural courage is contagious. Supernatural courage doesn't come from good personality or charisma. Supernatural courage comes from a relationship with the Lord. It'll come out of your prayer life. What happens in that secret prayer life will come out in the public life. And that courage is what people need right now. All of them were encouraged and they took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. And when they'd eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. And when day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach. They resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea. While at the same time, they were loosening the ropes of the rudders, hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas meet, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who should swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks and some on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. And when they had been brought safely to land, they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed them us extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain that had set in, and because of the cold, they kindled the fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. This is the story of Paul and the very, very bad, not very good day. <laughs> out of the shipwreck and into the viper's nest, right? Viper strikes his hand, and when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they recognized this. This is a poisonous one. This one's going to kill you quickly. They recognized it, and they began to say, undoubtedly this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, to them, justice was more than an idea. Justice was a, a god, a goddess, rather. And they believed all, you know, it's going to catch up with you. The same thing as people talk about karma. Same idea. It's always going to catch up to you. So they saw this as a sign. You, you must have done something wrong. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting he was going to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they'd waited a long time, and that's interesting, they just wait and watch, and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Oh. People are fickle, right? But, but look at this. Once again, if you were weak in your faith, the shipwreck would have told you, the storm would have told you, I did the wrong thing, God's not with me. The shipwreck, would have, you would have given up, Lord, I thought I was your servant, I thought I was supposed to go to Rome. Lord, you lied to me. Why'd you bring me, just like the Israelites, why'd you bring me here to die? Paul doesn't do any of that. Why? I know I got to go to Rome. 
He's going on the word that the Lord spoke to him when he first got saved. Then he's going on the word when he was sent out by the apostles. Then he's going on the word that the Lord said to him in Jerusalem. If you testify before me here, you'll testify before me in Rome. He's hanging on to that. Then he's going by the word that the angel spoke to him on the ship. You won't lose your life, for you've got to go to Rome. Then he's going, when he gets on the island, I've still got to go to Rome. The Lord's told me, I don't die on this island. I know that. I'll die somewhere, but it's not here. He's going on the word that's now become alive to him. You shall drink any deadly thing. You shall tread on serpents and scorpions. They will not harm you. And that serpent bites his arm. He shakes it off in the fire because he goes, I know this. This ain't Rome. I don't die here. That doesn't happen without him seeking the Lord. You can't embark on a mission. You can't start any day and expect the power of God to move in your life. If you're disconnected from the source of life itself, we come in prayer and we're refreshed. We're strengthened. We're encouraged. We fall more in love with Jesus. We know who we are. We begin to see clearly. David talked about it. He said, um, I feel like I was surrounded by enemies. I felt like I couldn't see above. I just was surrounded by all these people who wanted to kill me. But when I, when I came to you and I saw you and I worshiped you, you set me on the rock and I could see above the heads of my enemies. And in that time of prayer, all those things that seem insurmountable and against you, you see above them, just like God does. And then he gives you direction. Here's what you're supposed to do. It, it, you know, I'm not telling you God's going to give you a new direction every day. You know, because what I just talked about covered years in Paul's life. But do you notice how God gave him a direction to preach the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles? But the Lord at certain times said, but not those guys, not right now. And now you got to go here right now. You can't just go on one word and say, well, I don't need to hear anything else. I, I've heard, I got my orders. Those orders are more than just one word. There's, there's details in that. And, there, and, you know, when you spend time in his word and when you spend time in his presence and when you're praying and you're, and you're ministering to the Lord and letting him minister to you, you come out of there with clarity. This is what I'm meant to do. You don't come out with the full 10-year plan. There's a lot of stuff you don't know. But, you, you know, Paul, Jesus didn't say, and there's going to be a shipwreck, and you're going to be put in prison here. And No, Jesus didn't tell him that all at first. That stuff he unveils to you piece by piece. But what you do is you begin to seek the Lord. You don't go a day without it. Let that shape your life. Let it give you direction, then let it empower you. Because other than that, the wind will tell you one thing. The waves will tell you another thing. Vipers will tell you another thing. And at the end of the day, you'll be either led around by a fallen nature or by the devil himself. If you let your adversaries tell you the will of God, then Satan becomes your Lord. Because all he's got to do is push you over here. And you'll say, ooh, I guess God didn't want me to do that. But the way you'll be able to resist and stand in the evil day is know your orders from heaven. Know where he called you. Know why he called you. You don't know every detail. You don't know everything. But you know what you need to know. And in that prayer, those things are reinforced. There's a reason that I believe that there's a reason that the Lord told us to pray these 21 days and fast the beginning of the year. Now, like I said before, God's calendar is not our calendar. So he doesn't reset every 
time the Julian calendar starts over again. And yet, the beginning of the year is a good time because it's a time of, of reflection and reorientation. And when we take those 21 days saying, I am starting this year with the word of the Lord. I am starting this year with time in his presence. I'm starting this year. I guarantee you what comes out of that is a church that has focus, a church that has direction, a church that has power to actually do what called them to do, and a person, an individual that has focus, direction, and power. You can't do anything without the power of God. So he says, don't do anything until you're clothed with power. Who are we to do anything different? Lest you think that that was a one-time thing, the church in Acts chapter 4 prayed again, Lord, give us power. And the Lord filled them with the Holy Spirit, and they were filled with boldness. They saw signs and wonders. They were filled with the spirit of generosity. Not one of them had a need because all those needs were being met. And that came because in Acts 4 it says they were filled with the Spirit again. We need these times, friends. To be refilled, to be refocused, to be revived, to be resent. And I'm encouraging you not to sit back and let someone else do your praying for you. You don't know the treasure that's in you until you put it to the test. The treasure that's in you is the Spirit of God. Paul said, We have this treasure in earthen clay pots. He's talking about our bodies formed from the earth. He said, we have this treasure in ordinary, not fancy at all, earthen vessels to show that this power is from God and not from us. He's the same guy who said in 1 Corinthians, I didn't come to you with elegant words. I didn't come to you with wisdom, but I came to you in the power of God so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I preach Christ and him crucified. Let's put our faith in the power of God. Amen? When you put your faith in the power of God, you put way more emphasis on let's pray. Because you know you need that. First thing you should do in any crisis, let's gather around, let's pray. First thing you should do in any time of abundance, let's gather around and let's pray. First thing you should do as you do anything, let's get around, let's pray. Watch what God can do. Amen?